today and now I welcome uh, Mitch Bitterman from the uh, Dubai Commerce uh, City and uh, I invited him actually to understand the concept of the free zone, what it is and, and what it's meant. But maybe, maybe let's, uh, let's start with you. You've been around in this region for some uh, while. Uh, uh, can you give us uh, a brief background of your career and then let's head into the free zone concept? Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Alex. Um, so just a bit of my background. Um, I've been not that long in the region. Actually, it's only been two months, but I just relocated from Asia for the past uh, 14 years. I spent in Asia, Singapore, Bangkok, as well as um, uh, Hong Kong. And um, I started in hardcore supply chain logistics and then moved basically into more on a B2C perspective, setting up the first e-commerce business. And then I helped a startup out of Bangkok, e-commerce, to be an e-commerce enabler. And afterwards, uh, I basically joined Adidas, one of my brands, and um, managing e-commerce across Southeast Asia until I got that offer from Dubai Commerce City. And then I said, it's probably time to relocate and try something new. Okay, then you're the best man to explain us what a free zone actually is. And because uh, Dubai Commerce City, that's a free zone concept, but I think from, uh, from many European listeners, I've never heard about it. So what is it exactly? So free zone, you can also potentially say it's a free trade zone. So what it basically does is you bring products into the market and by the end of the day, you're saving taxes by doing that. So there won't be any import GST. The import GST only applies when you consume it locally. So that makes it actually an ideal location for brands or for retailers to come into the market set up their own entity, set up their own company, and then export it out as a regional hub. And there are some other benefits. Um, we have a blockchain solution where we directly integrate to customs. So basically the, um, the consumer and whatnot, if they have um, B2C e-commerce shipments coming in, it will be automatically um, sent to customs and you can avoid all the handling charges. Last but not least, and I think this is what um, uh, people find most appealing is, we are one-stop shop. So that means um, we are offering everything from a consultancy perspective up to setting up your business as well as giving you warehouse space. But but how can I how, how should I imagine uh, a free zone? Is it is it really some a zone in the city with some warehouses, office hubs, logistics space where uh, the the physical merchandise is actually arriving, or is it more like a virtual setup where you are offering this kind of um, tax protection scheme and uh, some some office uh, help, so how should I imagine a free zone? So it's a good one, it can be both. It can be virtually as well as physical. Um, so there is a distinction here in Dubai. We have 44 free zones, by the way, for people to know. There is only a few which are fenced. Fenced meaning like there is literally, there's a physical fence around it and there's 24 by seven security. So what we have over here, it's almost like an ecosystem. So we have an office cluster. This is where we have technology startups, right? Um, operating out of it and it can be 100% foreign owned, which is great. Then we have a social cluster. This is more for our employees, but we are um, adding by the day or by the months at the moment, uh, we are adding gastronomy in it. We're having um, uh, um, F&B, we have grocery retailers, everything. And then last but not least, we have the biggest cluster, which is logistics. And um, we are catering mainly or focusing mainly on the e-commerce piece of it. That means uh, unlike in the other free zones where you see massive pallets going in and out, for us, it's like the smaller consignments. Okay, then let's, let's uh, stick for a while with that. So is there like, if there's like 44 free zones, then there must be USP per free zone. Because I'm, I think from a 
text perspective, they're offering more or less the same, right? You can get your merchandise yeah. uh, free in, free out, as long as it's not consumed locally. But um, is there so much demand for free zone services that, there, that it makes sense to open up the 45th free zone or how does it come? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. So what we have basically is, uh, first of all, you're right. Um, by the end of the day, you could see them as landlords, right? So they're offering um, office space. They're offering um, logistics space. So um, you need to look for a unique um, value, value proposition. In our case, we are focusing on the e-commerce part. And for us, it doesn't stop at, hey, I give you a license. I give you the consulting, what license you need, how to set up a business. We give you space. We are also helping to boost them on e-commerce. That means in this case, it could be a brand coming in. They want to go on brand.com. They want to connect to marketplaces such as Namji, Noon, Amazon, you name it, or even social commerce. And we basically, we cover everything end to end, going in there saying like, you know what? Okay, you'll come in. We have our own photography studio. We'll take pictures. We do content management. We do channel management, connecting you to all the marketplaces fulfillment last mile as well as customer service and that is a true one-stop shop proposition and it's unique because no one else offers it what is the typical uh, kind of company that is that is, that is starting here it's, is it's like is it new distributor distributors is it companies that do have an existing retail business elsewhere in the world that are moving into a free zone or who's doing it so can be both in this case. So we have a, a, a massive request from um, uh, brands overseas and even retailers coming into the market and say, you know what, I want to go into the Middle East, but I have no idea how to do it. So that's the first one where we go in. However, we also have a lot of established companies who are saying like, you know what, let's open a branch office within the duty free, uh, uh, free trade zone. And the main reason is some of their products, they never touch Dubai. They never touch mainland, how we call it. So they will be re-exported. And there, they definitely see the benefit to have their products in here because they would um, save on taxes when it comes in. You have just recently relocated into this uh, region, as, um, as you said. So what is the biggest difference uh, you are observing when it comes to like e-commerce adaption, e-commerce penetration, service level, logistics level, compared to, to the yeah. Southeast Asia region we were before? That's an interesting one, especially since I just uh, relocated and had to build up my whole apartment and everything, go shopping, get all the, the IKEA stuff, uh, which everyone is aware, obviously, to get that in. And I was comparing a lot to what, what's going on. So one of the things which I realized here is um, in Asia is much more focused on super apps. Here you have, for instance, a Kareem. A Kareem started with ride hailing. They went into other services. Now you can do cleaning, donations, insurance, whatever. So they want to become a super app from not where I come from, because initially I'm German, but um, in Asia, what we are seeing is there's way more um, um, companies out there who want to become the super app. A super app being the first one, a whole ecosystem. The first thing you look on in the morning, order your coffee, then order everything. Like, like Gojek, for example, Indonesia. Gojek, Indonesia, perfect example, um, uh, funded obviously um, uh, quite heavily. They went together with Tokopedia, which is the biggest marketplace over there. Now they're GoTo. And GoTo is massive. Other examples, for instance, look at Alipay. Look at Lazada, right? They all started somewhere. On Lazada now, you can book flights on the marketplace itself. You can book your cab. And this is something where I see a lot of opportunity here in the market, long term, that people are saying, like, you know what? Actually, we should build our own super app. And so far, like I said, besides... Um, 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 really looking into uh, Kareem, no one else has offered it. And last but not least, if you look at someone like uh, Alipay, 
they are already coming into the market slightly, but they do. So you can pay taxes, um, taxes already with Alipay. In Dubai Mall, you can pay with Alipay. So they're slowly coming into the market. And if um, brands over here or if companies won't build it up, I'm pretty sure there is plenty out there who want to come. Who do you think is best equipped to become a super app here? Is it uh, one of the big marketplaces like Noon or, or Amazon? Or is it one of, the, uh, one of the grocery, fast delivery grocery services that do have already the riders uh, in order to run a super app? Yeah, that's, that's an, a very good question. So I think, first of all, I think um, uh, definitely that Kareem is on a very good track because the only thing what they're lacking today is the physical product, right? They sell a little bit here and there, but groceries and whatnot, but they're not selling electronic article. They're not selling sports, right? But they have, I think, 42 million active users. That means everyone is on it already. So what does it take, you know? And they will realize, you know what? Maybe we should onboard that. If you take an Amazon, they have around um, 22 um, million visits a month, right? If you take the next best one is noon, 20 million. But Kareem could just take them on by having already double the amount of active users. And I think this one is, is at the moment, if you ask me, there is not really one clear winner yet. However, I think it could be similar to what you mentioned with GoCheck. There might be some of the big guys, the big guns getting together and saying like, you know what, let's build it. And as you said, you just um, started like equipping your own apartment two months ago. And if you would compare like the level of like e-commerce capabilities apart from super, uh, the super app um, uh, um, um, offering, what else have you observed? Was there, was there better prices, better offers, better delivery um, um, options, or was it yeah. way behind of your Southeast Asia um, experience? Yeah. So um, the first thing what I realized uh, walking into um, uh, um, um, MOE, Mall of Emirates, obviously it's like, this is bloody massive, right? We're talking about 650 stores. Everyone said like, you know what, you'll have to see it, of course, uh, Dubai Mall as well. And then I went online and I said, you know what, I have this one brand which I really like. So I went on the mall app. On the mall app, I realized that only 58 stores out of the 650 I actually offered on the, um, uh, on the app itself. That means 9% of all the stores who are there are actually um, available to, uh, to buy online. And that's the first one where I said, you know what, there's a huge opportunity because in Asia, malls, they operate as an enabler. They help their tenants to go online. And here I haven't really, yeah, maybe because a lot of them are um, uh, playing um, a, a mono-brand strategy. That could be one. And especially since we mentioned the IKEA stuff, is um, instant gratification. So one of the things what I realized, if I want to order food, if I want to order grocery, no problem, I get it within 45 minutes here. Even if I want to pay more, if I want to have something very urgently, yeah, be it a vacuum cleaner or whatever. In Asia, you have the opportunity to pay for it. You probably even pay um, a ride-hailing company $20. They deliver it same day. And here, you have to wait. You get it normally next business day. In the worst case, it takes two to three days to deliver. And I think this is something which should be cracked. And I'm not just talking about the last mile because I think it has more to do with how the fulfillment is being managed. Okay, but because I think we have to admit that like the Southeast Asia or Asia um, uh, e-commerce capability, delivery capabilities are way beyond of what we've seen in any anywhere in the world. So even like in Germany, France, UK, you just cannot get the product if it's if it's not in the uh, retailer's logistic system and uh, it's not part of the DHL, Absolutely. UPS or whatever delivery yeah. system. You cannot get it, and you cannot 
you, you can pay your mother driving to a store, <laughs> buying it for you, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't count it as an as e-commerce um, um, experience. But do you see an, an, a big, um, a big um, uh, difference like in the e-commerce market share? We had some speakers here online saying that in some parts of the region, the market share is like already like 10, 15 percent. In the more um, African countries like Egypt, we are talking about two to three percent, so very low uh, um, uh, market share. So when you're talking with your network, with your friends from Dubai Commerce Cities, are they still tending to buy offline, going into a mall, or they are getting everything online? Yeah. I think I think visiting a mall is uh, a very big part of the culture here. But I think um, uh, the way how malls can transfer is to become more digitally enabled. And people actually, especially Gen Zers, people between 10 and 25 years, they're not going to a mall anymore just for shopping. They want to be entertained. As a product of it, they're going out and they buy something on the way. And now 10 to, uh, 10 to 25 years might not be the ones who have the big money, but they're the biggest influencers for all the, the Generation X, for all the millennials and whatnot, right? Coming back to your question in terms of e-commerce size. So right now, if I have it right in my head, we're talking about in the UAE, 4 billion um, uh, um, US dollar on e-commerce revenue. If I compare it to the Southeast Asia, it um, depends on country. You have Vietnam, you have Indonesia, which are taking off like crazy. But we're talking about populations of 100 million in Vietnam and 260 in, in Indonesia. So it's not like for like. But if I take Singapore, for example, you guys here, or I'm now too here, um, achieving 4 billion. If you take Singapore, they have 5 billion. If you take it across the population here, you have, I think, almost 10, um, 10 million. In Singapore, you have, um, I think it's 6.4, whatever. So, uh, sorry, 5.6. So that means by the end of the day, the e-commerce adaption over there has happened way more frequent. Here, I would say we're just hitting the 10% in places like Singapore, albeit smaller. They're already hitting 15%. And last but not least, look at China it can hit the 50 or 60. And I'm just thinking is, is the market really ready to, to serve such a demand? When you're, when you're observing the discussions around e-commerce strategies, um, how, how would you say, uh, what is the driver here? If you go into European countries where Amazon is active, I would say 80% of all e-commerce projects are driven out of fear by Amazon. Not by ambition, offering something better, faster, more convenient, but every, everybody is like fearing that Amazon could take over this particular category and therefore they would lose market share. What is the driver here? Is it also fear for Amazon, Noon or others, or is it more like ambition driven? Yeah. I, see, I see actually two um, uh, motivators for brands and retailers alike. So the first one is, um, is here, it's way more fragmented. So here you don't have an Amazon who is, um, if you're on Amazon, you pretty much cover most of the entire population. Um, looking at Asia, looking at here, you have known as a strong second, which is not far behind Amazon. That means if you only list on Amazon, you're losing out potentially 50% of your clients, which no one wants. That's the first part, right? So it's highly fragmented, which also means like, how do you do omni-channel? How can you manage one inventory across all these channels? So there's a lot of um, questions around it. Um, the second one, which I think is especially going towards the direction is, and this is something what we saw in, in, in Southeast Asia 10 years ago, where brands are coming to us and basically saying one of the biggest electronics companies. And they said, Mitch, you know what? The biggest problem we have today, we don't know who the end consumer is because they're working with retailers. They're working with telcos, with distributors. They don't know whether it's Alexander who just buy the latest iPhone. And by the end of the day, 
this data should belong to the brand, right? And they have the feeling today when they work with Amazon, what they're getting is limited, obviously, in terms of data. If they're working with some of the distributors, it's a big a black box. And then um, if you have a standard distributor here, 95% of their business is offline. That means how hard are they really trying to grow that online business? Because whatever initiative they're driving, it has a higher, much higher impact on offline, right? So I think there will be a change where brands are just saying, like, how can I do my D2C? How can I go direct to my clients? And this one will come here as well. It can be either supported by the distributors. And I saw the Alshaya presentation yesterday. They have seen that there is a change from a, from a, from a brand perspective. If not, there will be some disruptors coming in. And I think that's quite a good area here with, with, with all the companies you guys have under your umbrella where they're saying like, you know what, how can we revolutionize the market? How can we disrupt it? And how can we offer um, a unique selling proposition? Some of the former speakers said that um, the, uh, the execution of strategies is somewhat limited in this region because of the lack of talent. So, um, and, and you're offering obviously like an infrastructure kind of thing, warehousing, uh, tax, logistics, office setup. Would you agree that it's hard to find commerce talent here in the region? After my six weeks, I honestly have to say I cannot be 100% sure about it. Um, but I think you mentioned already something in two questions ago where you said, you know what, other markets are way further ahead. Yeah. So here, two Germans sitting, talking to each other in, in, in another language. But we come from a market where it's just more well established. That means we've seen how you build business. But more importantly, we have seen how you scale it. And the scaling part, I think, is super important. And this is something um, we all know you can, um, I don't know, receive orders in Excel and whatnot and just um, um, barcode it and just send it in there. But if you really want to scale, you need a proper technology. And, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be European. It can be American, whatnot. I think it needs to be a mix. And one thing what we are building within uh, Dubai Commerce City as well, we have some, um, some collaboration with the university where we say, you know what, how can we make the people coming in more tech savvy? How can we explain to them e-commerce? Because this will become our future workforce. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks, Alex, for having me.